0: You're listening to The Healing Birth Podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. Each week we'll spend an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birthkeepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. For this first episode of the Healing Birth podcast, we have Gay Summers as our guest. Gay gave birth to her three daughters in the 1970s, the youngest of which was me, The story of mum's pregnancy with me and of my birth is quite a remarkable one. My older two sisters' births entailed some trauma for my mum and when she became pregnant with me she was determined to do things her way. I love the story of my birth, it has always been a source of inspiration for me. I was mesmerised by all things birth related from a young age and knew that birth work was my calling. It feels so right that since my journey into midwifery, motherhood, and then into birth healing work all started with my mother's own radical, trailblazing ways, we have Mum, Gay Summers, as the first guest speaker on the Healing Birth Podcast. Well, welcome Mum, <laughs> to the very first episode of my Healing Birth Podcast, um, and it's really exciting to have you on here it feels really fitting um, that you're going to be sharing the story of my birth uh, as an introduction to um, a podcast that's all about people discovering how they can go from traumatic birth to healing and your story will share elements of that um, but also because the story of my own birth and what I grew up learning about birth through through hearing about my own story, but also through the books that we had at home and these sorts of things, which I'm sure you'll talk about um, as you speak in the, on the um, call today, was really a big driver for me to journey into uh, birth work myself so um, yeah it just feels so fitting to have you as the first guest on this podcast and I'm super excited and I'm referring to you as mum of course because you're my mum but to everybody else who knows you you're Gay Summers it's such a fitting name for a um, the bright light that you are in so many people's lives. So thank you for being here, and um, I know this is a little bit nerve-wracking, talking on a podcast for the first time, but we can do it, this is going to be fun. We're sitting on the couch together having a chat. Great. (laughs) Before we crack into your story, a lot of these podcasts that I'm going to be recording are going to be, you know, quite heavy topics at times, because we are going to be talking about about this trauma, so I've made the call that I'm going to start the story episodes off with asking my guests to share an answer to this question what has been your most awkward funny or otherwise entertaining
1: parenting moment oh my goodness you're asking me to go back 50 years (laughs) (laughs) and there's so many funny ones maybe awkward at times but if I'm thinking about you that very earliest funny one with you was when you were only a few hours old and I just had you at home, brought you at home in the early hours of the morning and I was cuddled up in bed with you, just naked and beautiful and your big two-year-old sister came into the bedroom and her dad said to her, look what mummy's brought home and and go and ring up grandpa and tell him what mummy's brought home and so she rang and we gave her the telephone and um she said grandpa grandpa mummy's in bed and there's blood all over her and there's chocolates and then she hung up the phone (laughs) she didn't even mention the new baby (laughs) it was so cute
0: thanks yeah. a lot Jen for the uh, enthusiasm for your new <laughs> little sister um chocolates were way more important obviously mm. yeah I know that story quite well I've heard that one a few times over the years it is a it's a bit of a classic I wonder what grandpa thought on the other end of the phone <laughs> mm. <laughs> hope he got the gist um all right okay so can you share with me I'm the I'm the youngest of Three sisters, so um, perhaps start off with sharing about your birth experience with Kim and then Jenny, and then we can okay. move on to myself. Okay, I story.
1: think I've got to go before Kim's birth to when I first got pregnant. Um, my whole life had been pretty ruled by my parents, really, by my father in particular, and I felt very judged and like everything was controlled in my life. And when I I remember the first minute I I found I was pregnant I thought oh my goodness this is the first time in my life that I'm totally responsible for something and that nobody else can control me about it and it is such a precious amazing moment. It was absolutely it's made me cry thinking about it. It was so special knowing that uh, I was carrying a a little baby inside me, that was going to be, you know, um, dad and my responsibility to bring up. But my responsibility to grow inside me for the first nine months. And I'd never, never ever seen a baby being breastfed. I probably held my little sister a bit when she was young, but I don't even remember that. But I'd never held any or seen any other babies didn't have a clue about birth or anything like that at all. So I always did my go-to thing back then. I went to every bookshop I could find and got out books on childbirth. And then I read about La Leche League. So I went to my first La Leche League meeting, the breastfeeding meeting, when I was three months pregnant. and. Spent the next few months, next six months, just cuddling babies and hearing about births and seeing babies being breastfed, and knew that that was the path I was going to take. So, yeah, that was really exciting time for me. And then the came time for the birth. Um, so back then, it was the first fight I had was to get your dad and to be allowed to be with me during the birth. And the one thing that I knew I didn't want was any painkillers, unless I told Richard that I wanted them, he was his job was to protect me in that way. And so, I mean, it was pretty awful, but I suppose we didn't know a lot else that other alternatives were available at that stage. I remember being alone um, during a lot of my labour in this horrible sterile room, and I'd just been to the toilet, and I was coming out, and I was leaning against the wall, having a contraction, when suddenly I felt something going up my bottom, would that be right? Far out, yep. <laughs> I think so, doing... An she enema. Was- yeah, an enema. And I just remember thinking, what on earth is going on? And it was painful and it felt really abusive. Anyway, yeah, it must have been Nenema. And when I was going, I was on this narrow, flat, high bed on my back. Kept having to put my leg in stirrups. It all felt horrible. And then I, as the labour was progressing... Um, I insisted that my husband come in, and that was a bit of a fight. However, I, you know, we, we both really wanted that, so that was okay. And then, um, as the labour was going on, they wanted to give me um, painkillers, and Richard was great like that. He said, no, she hasn't said she wants them yet. I don't want her to have one. And He kind of stood between the needle and me at one stage I remember and I mean it was really painful like all births were but it was like I was so excited too you know it was a pain that I felt I could bear and I remember when the head was crowning and it was really exciting and then I felt this terrible pain it was the worst pain of the whole lot, and I sort of yelled out, what's happening? And um, the doctor said he'd given me an, what is it, a episiotomy? and um, explained later on that he did that to all his first-time mothers. There wasn't any, any warning or any asking me or anything. You know, I hadn't been in labour for ages, so it didn't feel necessary at all. Anyway, I had the episiotomy, and my lovely baby was born, and it was she was just beautiful and gorgeous, and I was whipped away to the woman's ward, and um all the women were in a big ward. I think there's probably I don't know about a dozen of us or fourteen of us in there, and the babies were down the other end of the corridor in the nursery. And um, I've been saying that I wanted a room by myself if I could have one after after the first, probably the first 12 hours the next day. And because the baby was being brought down every few hours. No, it must have been that evening because Kim was born about lunchtime. So that evening I was asking if I could have a room near the nursery. So they eventually gave me one but then I had to listen to all these babies crying and crying and I was beside myself. And I knew one of them may well be my little baby that was a few hours old. And I remember I couldn't bear lying in bed and I got up and I couldn't see any nurses in the nursery. So I went to the nurses' station and there were two nurses listening to music. I remember them filing their nails (laughs) and chatting happily while these babies were screaming. And I was just so upset. And I um, said, my my baby's crying. You know, can you bring her to me? And they said, look, Gay, you go back to bed. We look after the babies at night time. And I said, but the baby's crying. She needs to be held. No, look, you spoil your baby if you pick them up every time they cry. I said, she's only a few hours old. Get to bed, Mm gay. And I was just so upset. And so I went away and I just walked into the nursery and got my baby and decided there and then no one was going to take it from me anymore. And so not long after that, the... Two nurses came in and they said, give us that baby back. And I said no. And they were trying to pull her out of my arms and I was holding her tight. It was a it was a physical battle. And I said, you're not having my baby. You, you weren't looking after her. And they said, we're, we're going to get the supervisor now then. This was at about 2 in the morning. And I said, well, I'm going to ring up my husband. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was horrible. That was probably some of the worst few hours I've ever had. It was just, I really feel for cows now when they take their calves off them. And when I lived in the country and I'd hear these cows crying and crying, it was, oh my golly, it was so horrible. And so um, I wasn't very popular with the hospital staff, but the staff said that I, the supervisor said I could keep my baby with me and and that was that was fantastic however on the back then it was normal to stay in hospital at least seven days and i think i came out on the third day i think they were happy to get rid of me and i was happy to leave i remember driving home and um Kim was in my arms back then we didn't have we didn't have safety belts in the car (laughs) And holding her and just thinking what an enormous responsibility was to be carrying home this little person, but it was so amazing too. It was just, I don't know, just amazing.
0: It seems incomprehensible that anybody would think that it's a wise and healthy move to keep... A mother separated from her newborn baby, and a baby separated from its mother when all it's known is its mother's heartbeat mm. and sounds and body for all of its days until that point. And that it's it was women doing that
1: to oh, no.
0: other women, yeah. But
1: you know, I think about my sister's birth, she was a um, a baby that was very prim and was on an incubator for a long time and my mom and I remember I was seven with my mom when she came home from the hospital and not long afterwards my mom was outside crying and crying and I said what's wrong mom and she said Sally's screaming but I'm not allowed to feed her for another three hours yet because Dr Spock says you can only feed them every four hours and not even cuddle them you know mm. because you spoil them and I was just, even at that young age, it felt so wrong Yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Later when we're talking about your pregnancy with me, that we'll come to the story um, about you having a meeting in your house, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But um, there was this, this special meeting that we'll hear about a little bit later, and I've been, um, that was recorded onto a cassette tape, um, and I've been transcribing that meeting recently and in it you were asked um, to share what was it about your birth experience with Kim that you found traumatic and you did talk at length about that very thing you just talked about then around um, Kim being, you know, taken, kept from you in the nursery. Uh, but you, the first thing you actually said was about um, being called Mrs. Orkett uh, oh, right. by the staff when you were in labour, <clears throat> and and it seemed like a surprising thing for you to bring up. And then you explained further. You said it felt so impersonal at such a as like a special per- yeah, yeah a special time yeah. in my life, like such a vulnerable time yeah. as well. Being referred to as Mrs. Orkett just yeah. Made it feel very mm-hmm. even more sterile, I guess, and um just felt uh so contrasting to the to the sacred nature of birth, I guess, yeah. is was what I was hearing. Do yeah. you recall that?
1: No, I don't remember that. <laughs> but I can imagine I wouldn't have liked it at all. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
0: And giving you an episiotomy Because they just routinely do them, but you weren't even told, or asked, or... Had it explained, warned, yeah, Mm. right, and the enema, like, Mm. yeah, so these things were
1: routinely done back then, as far as you can They were, and you know what, the worst pain I had afterwards, in the days that followed, was where the stitches were, you know, like, it wasn't, it was that that was the painful bit. yeah. And was breastfeeding successful for you? Oh, look. It was really interesting because I think that was the first time in my life I felt like I was doing something properly. And it was such a wonderful feeling, you know, like going to La like, Lake for so long, I had plenty of support and I kind of knew what to do and what to expect. And, um, you know, I knew if the baby was having plenty of wet nappies every day that the f- fluid was going in but Kim was um, a really colicky baby so I feared her lots and carried her around lots all the time and I used to think to myself even if I'm doing nothing else right I'm giving her the perfect food you know <laughs> and I remember the plunket nurse came around and she um was telling me that I was feeding her too much or doing something wrong and so the second time she came round I locked the door and I opened the window and called out and said I don't want you to come anymore will you stay away please and I went and hid in the bedroom. (laughs) That sounds so stupid but I just didn't want anyone to undermine me I just wanted to totally trust what I knew was right you know. I
0: love that so much. It's the furthest thing from stupid that I think I've ever heard. It sounds so, like, wise and, like, you were doing what... You you were being mama lion, you know, lioness, protecting your, your cub. I love it. All right, so this was back in early 70s, and two and a half years later... Was it? Two? Oh no, no not one quite. And two? A half. Yeah, mm. not quite two years later, months. you got pregnant with Jenny.
1: Well, I gave birth to Jenny. Oh right, yes, yes of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So tell and me a bit so, about that. Well, Jenny's birth. You know, back then the hospitals were getting a little bit better. It wasn't a fight to have the dads in the ward so much then. And I'd known beforehand to book one of the single rooms. And I talked to the doctor about coming out after two days and because it wasn't my first baby, they were more open to that arrangement. And the birth, um, I know that I split where I'd been cut last time. I don't know, split or? Tear. Tear, yeah. And, but her birth was really straightforward. I was so, I've been so fortunate. But it was, once again, it was on my back on a, in a, on a sterile, cold, hard, you know, and environment. So none of that had changed. Um, but I felt a lot more confident and being able to speak out because I'd been through it before and because I was a mum now. And so I had the birth. And then we were put into a room, just Jenny and I, and I could just feed her all the time and and then I knew I'd go home. I went home quite quickly after that. So yeah, so that was pretty straightforward really. Still wasn't perfect. You know, it still didn't feel um didn't feel personal and precious and intimate.
0: Did you Could you feel that at the time, or is it only in hindsight that you can say that because you had such. because you knew more once you, after your pregnancy with me and your birth with me, and after reading books and things, you knew that birth could be different, or do you recall back at that time, sort of just.
1: I don't. I don't even. I don't think I even thought there was another option at that point, apart from going to hospital and having a baby like that. And it wasn't until I got pregnant with you that I decided this is probably going to be my last birth and I wanted it to be as perfect as it could be. And I went and, you know, I found all these books on um, home births and communes in the States and different books like that and so once I saw that and once I saw people giving birth, going into labour on their hands and knees and in bean bags or however they felt comfortable leaning over things and, you know, it just all felt, yeah, that's what I wanted. I wanted something really beautiful like that with candles and nice things around me and where I could relax and, yeah. So maybe what you
0: described before about you know, Jenny's birth was good yeah. and straightforward, and she wasn't taken off you like Kim had been. Yeah. And um, but you knew there was—you just felt there was something missing. It wasn't—it didn't feel like the really Absol- um, personal yeah. experience that it could have. When you came across these books and saw these images, and I've yeah. seen them of people giving birth, and one of them is called ecstatic birth. You know, yeah. like people giving birth their way and,
1: and not having someone stranger take the be the first person to hold the baby and take them away and wash all that phoenix off them and wrap them up and then give them to you like the whole experience of feeling like your baby after reading every book i could find i then went in search of a midwife that performed home births in new zealand and i don't know how i found out about um um, what was her name? Donnelly? Um, Joan. Donnelly. Joan Donnelly. I don't. I can't remember how I found out about her because back then <laughs> we just had newspapers and telephones. We didn't have Google. Um, but anyway, I did. I found out that there was one um, very experienced midwife in New Zealand called Joan Donnelly that was based in Auckland that did perform home births and um but that was only in Auckland nothing no official home births had been anywhere else
0: I'll just explain for the listeners as well that you were living in Hamilton at the time uh, and this is in New Zealand and that's a
1: two-hour drive um, Mm.
0: to Auckland Yeah.
1: yeah so I managed to get hold of Joan Donnelly and explained that I would Really love a home birth, and was there anybody that she knew that could perform one? You know that could be with me, in Hamilton, um, and when you were due in October, October, November, <laughs> November, <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's she, I was thrilled. She said she would come down if I could get some supportive doctors together, and she'd be happy to talk about. What was expected?
0: Um, yeah. can I just check in? Back, back then, uh, a midwife had to have a doctor attend births with her.
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So she was saying if you could find a doctor who would support her to attend a, that home birth. Um, that she was open to the idea of coming down and and attending your birth?
1: Yeah, actually I didn't even think of that, but I think that's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she also told me she had another midwife that was, I don't know if she was training her or whatever, Carolyn Young, and she would come down too. So that was really exciting, you know, I thought, oh my goodness, this might really happen. So then I got the phone book and I rang every GP in Hamilton and obstetrician Mm -hmm. and managed to get, I think it was seven doctors and two obstetricians. I might be wrong, might have been five doctors and two obstetricians. I can't remember now, but I do remember, look, it was, I wonder what they thought. We lived in our house. We had... Very little furniture. Our couch was a door that had a mattress on it and it was on bricks covered with batik, a batik cloth. And we had a couple of bean bags. And when you came through the um, sort of the front door, it was our bedroom, and there was a bed right inside the door. (laughs) And it was like, it didn't worry me, you know. We had, everything was just pretty sort of happy, I suppose. So,
0: so these doctors and obstetricians, you were inviting them to your to, house? To my house, here right. yeah, to
1: the meeting. And I remember we were sitting in there, then one doctor came in a bit late, and he instead of coming in the front door, he came through these sliding doors, and he fell right over the bed as soon as he came in. anyway the the meeting happened
0: which this meeting I'm just going to interrupt you a wee bit to explain it a bit more it wasn't just the seven doctors that you had there uh when I was transcribing so the tape recording Mm -hmm. that I was talked earlier about that I have been transcribing recently is a recording of the meeting that took place at your house yeah and one of the doctors mentions there being, there are 30 of us in here. No. Yeah. Yes. Really? It's, it's on oh the recording. He said, let's say there's around about 30 of us in here, and da 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 da, da. Um, So, and there wow. were the voices of quite a number of, um, like, consumers, I'm going to call them, but they were probably friends of family yours. Family friends. Family mm. friends who were attending as well, and... Um, Maybe you said 13. Maybe I think I so. I think 13, 13
1: might okay. Because, right. yeah. yeah, it didn't Our...
0: seem... Like, the sound didn't sort of no. seem to encompass 30 voices, but 13 would sound yeah. correct. But there was also the midwife, Carolyn, that you referred to yes. earlier. She talks on it quite a lot. I don't think Joan could have been able to make it right. down because mm. she doesn't seem to appear on the tape. Um, but, yeah, so you had invited these doctors and friends and midwife to a a meeting at your house with the purpose of what? What had had you said to these doctors that you can recall? Obviously, it's a
1: long time ago. but Yeah, Um, I just said that I would really love to have a home birth and I'd located an experienced domiciliary midwife, we'd call them back then, and I was wondering if they were interested in coming to hear her experiences as regarding what was needed for it and how safe it was. And to, and and some of it, you know, there's this group of doctors that were really happy to come. You know, they're all males, all male doctors. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited that it was happening. And then afterwards, I remember talking to the midwife, asking what we needed to prepare for it, you know, in the bedroom. And so we were all geared up to have a home birth. Joan was going to come down to Hamilton the week before, the two days before I was due, I think. Because of course, back in the seventies, there were no cell phones so we could only make phone contact, and we had made that arrangement, but I did something really silly. <laughs> About a week before you were due, I took a sewing machine into town to get fixed. I was trying to pretend that I was really domesticated and could sew, <laughs> and I took it in and I carried it from the car into this building, and that was enough to set me off into labour and I remember we went out for dinner that night with friends of ours and I was saying I'm in labour I know I'm in labour and you know your dad was trying to tell me no I wasn't (laughs) it would go away and anyway we realised that no I was definitely in labour so we had to make some really quick decisions first of all I tried to contact Joan and the midwife. And so, this
0: was a bit earlier than expected. This
1: was a week earlier, five days before she was due to come. I
0: was due to come.
1: Yeah. Before she was due to come Oh, down before from, Joan was, yeah, right, I see. From Auckland. Yeah. And I couldn't get hold of her at all, and she may well have been out doing a birth somewhere in Auckland, and I had no, I'd no way to get hold of her. So, next plan was I thought. I'm gonna write a list of things. I'm gonna to have to go to hospital. I want to be as quick as possible in there. And I wrote, I'm sure dad and I wrote it together, a list of things that I wanted. And I remember, I think I remember most of them. It was, um, I didn't want any medical interventions, and, uh, interventions at all unless it was like a life and death situation. I didn't want the cord to be cut until it finished pulsating, and then I'd have, what was the injection they gave you then to? Yeah, syntocinin, in, It's synthetic yeah. oxytocin. Because yeah. they used to give you that right away, so that was one of the things I really wanted. Um, I wanted you to get all the oxygen and blood into you that you could. And I didn't want you to be washed or taken from me, and um, I wanted to be able to leave home as soon as I possibly could, like immediately if possible, but as soon as I could. And I rang up the doctor, and he agreed to all those things. And so the doctor that you yeah, rang was yeah. our family doctor, wasn't yeah, he? And yeah. he was
0: one of the people who attended that
1: meeting. Meeting, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were two of the doctors there that said that they would support me. Bill Reeder was the other one. Yeah. Awesome. And so we left it as long as we possibly could to go into the hospital. <laughs> and we gave birth I gave birth to really quickly once we got into hospital. It was like, I don't know, probably twenty minutes, half an hour, you know, it was really fast. And and the cord pulsated for ages. For a, I don't know about how long. Can do you remember it? About two, two and a half, something. You said to me over the years that it was With for twenty, 20 minutes, minutes, which
0: it's... sounds incredible. Like most cords, maybe pulsate for five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it was,
1: and mm. and even the doctor was amazed. He just had no idea that that would have happened. You know, and so once. Once you're a separate little entity from me, you know, we wrapped you up unwashed and took you home. And I think it was at about sometime after midnight we got you at home and you're only an hour or so old. I remember Rosie, our friend, that was looking after your two big sisters saying it was the first newborn baby she'd ever held, you know. Um, and then you and I just snuggled up in bed together. It was so exciting. It was so lovely. That's amazing. Mm.
0: I seem to recall you saying that
1: you were frowned upon by the... Oh, yes. (laughs) That was the next thing. About two days later, I got a letter from the hospital board saying that they wanted to sue me for putting my life and my babies at risk for leaving hospital so quickly.
0: Incredible. <laughs> when we think these days about how there's just, you know, you're kicked out, Yeah, you're so bribed
1: with free <laughs> nappies if you leave in 24 hours or something. Yeah.
0: Once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah. These days you used don't, to be like you that. don't even
1: get that. No. And so, um, I thought that was really laughable. I thought it was really funny that, you know, that, um, they made such a fuss about something so lovely. And the doctor supported me, I had his support, so there was nothing to, yeah, fight or whatever. Mm. Mm.
0: Isn't that incredible that he was a doctor who had attended a lot of births by that stage, and you insisting that my cord be left to pulsate for as long as it took, um was the first time he'd ever witnessed that. Yeah. Yeah, he'd ever seen that. I know. And still to this day, we, you know, this is, I'm 45 now and this is still going on. People are still having to, you know, Mm. state when they don't want the cord to be cut. And yeah, seems so intriguing that all these years later that we're still fighting
1: Such natural battles over things that are like, I just think, yeah, yeah, it's crazy.
0: Wow, what a story. What what a shame you you missed out on your home birth. I know. <laughs> and I miss out on being born at home. But, but
1: yeah, I made up for it when you had your first baby, my first <laughs> grandchild, in my lounge. Mm. And mm. I was, who was the first one to touch her.
0: Yeah. I was. Yeah. 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 We'll talk more about that, that soon, because, yeah, like I said earlier, that learning the story of my... Home birth and um, and growing up with all those amazing books in the house and that I had quite a different perspective on on birth I think to what most people would have had. Um, we'll, we'll come back and, and talk about that Jenny a little bit later. Mm. But I'm still I'm I'm just really intrigued to I guess um, delve a little bit more into. You you were radical mum. You were yeah. radical for your time. Like
1: I'm yes yeah, so proud of you. <laughs> oh, I've never considered myself radical. But I just thought I felt seemed I was so driven by my instinctive feelings, you know? Yeah. I think that's what it was. I was I just really at that in terms of my body and breastfeeding and giving birth I totally trusted my intuition in my body. How did you find
0: th- that? How did you find that f- when nobody else was doing this? No, you weren't You weren't inspired by... Well, you were once you come across those books, but mm. I'm hearing that this even came back to... You talked about that with your first birth, that it was the first time in your life that you felt um,
1: you knew how to do something, yeah. that you knew what you were doing and you... Well, I sort of knew it was the right thing to do because it was natural. You know. Just made sense. It just right? made sense, yeah. yeah. It did. And then and then your body did,
0: did its thing like you birthed your baby babies really well. You breastfed and you said, you know, like breastfeeding was your your body was just doing it, it was. F- was I, it do. was the
1: first time in my life I felt so competent. Yeah. I felt like so proud of myself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was, it was. It was wonderful. And then, if I can diverge a little bit, because people these days probably don't even know this is possible, but La Leche League became a really big part of my life. You know, there were a group of mothers that just wanted to birth and parent naturally and it was really beautiful being in that group like it was none of those things I could really share with my parents or anything like that but back in the 70s there was lots of adoptions then and us breastfeeding mothers had heaps of milk and so we had a bit of a milk crown. so breastfeeding mothers that had an excess of milk would express their milk and into um into uh, bottles and we'd 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 have a collection. And it would be put into these little tubes that would be taped onto the adoptive mother's boob. And it had a little tube going down to the nipple and the baby would suck on it and it would get the breast milk out of the little bag. But at the same time, it was stimulating her breasts and she was getting all the maternal feelings. And so many of those mothers started breastfeeding naturally. Their milk would come in after about 10 days or two weeks, you know. Wow. And it was so amazing being able to know that that could happen, yeah. you know. It was, yeah. Mm.
0: I love that journey that you're describing, that despite what you were learning through... um what i guess the doctors were saying or what the friends experiences were like of birth or whatever you had these these uh this straightforward birth and then breastfeeding went really well and you learned through that that you could trust your intuition and trust your instincts and And i got so much
1: confidence yeah
0: And that was really empowering Mm. and Mm. that took you on, it sounds like it was that that took you on a journey to believing in, um, yeah, that we're designed to be able to birth without all these interventions that are happening and that birth is designed to be something so much more special and intimate Mm. and, um, uh, yeah, like ecstatic maybe even um, than then what?
1: But even experience even in situations where birth might be complex, mm-hmm. it can still be really personal afterwards. You can still cuddle a baby without it being whipped away and washed. you can you know there's all those other things that can have, have made a difficult, complex birth so much better.
0: You know what you're reminding me of is I was like I've literally just been transcribing that cassette tape the last couple of evenings. Mm. Uh, It's really really hard. It's the the sound quality is so poor and it's been a nightmare trying to transcribe it. But one of the things that you say on it is that you talked to like the hospital, like the matron or somebody at the hospital um, on the the um, I guess the postnatal ward um and asked if you and and some girls you it's funny you guys all referred to women as um, yeah. as girls <laughs> <laughs> you and some of some other girls wanted to uh be able to go and just sit with new mums and offer them some support uh just to have somebody to talk to because um th- there there was so they were so short staffed. There was no time, you say, in uh, in the in the recording. There was no time for the nurses to sit on the bed with the mums after they'd given birth and just offer them some support around breastfeeding, or you know, just to talk to. You said yeah. just for somebody to talk to, and to, and I just thought, oh my goodness, you're just so amazing, and and but then you went on to say that, oh no, that um you were told no, that that would never do because the nurses would feel undermined. and, um, But, you know, like, this is the power of knowing what birth and breastfeeding and mothering can be and, and should be and you wanting to support that for other people and that village mentality. And, like, yeah, that uh, this just, like, lights me up so much and it just helps me understand more and more where my soul and passion for birth came mm-hmm. from, yeah. you know, for all yeah. things birth. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm. It's been lovely being able to share it with you. It's been <laughs> so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I I knew from mm. when I was early teens that I wanted to become a midwife mm. because whenever I saw a pregnant person or heard about another baby being born or even you know hanging out with little newborns um it always just gave me like a a swell of like excitement and Mm. joy I was like oh my goodness I I couldn't Mm. wait to be pregnant one day and birth just seemed like the most like wow out there amazing experience you know and this is in such stark contrast now. When I mean, at the time, that's all I mm. knew, but like, obviously, over time, you know, and you talk about birth and that when you're in your late teens or whatever. And then I went to midwifery training mm. and whatnot and really learned what the world of birth was like out there. Do you um, remember
1: the time? Uh, yeah. Sorry, when you're in bed. And our cat was giving birth, and I kept you guys home from school to watch all the kittens oh, being born. Oh, yeah.
0: Yes, I do. It was amazing.
1: Yes. Sorry to interrupt.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I, I love that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> um. But, yeah, all I knew, like, I was lit up about birth, where I think most people sort of thought birth was this scary, dangerous, yeah. you know, very, like just a means to an end, something you've got to get through to get to the cute baby at the end of it, you know. Um, but no, I knew I wanted to be a midwife. I wanted to be a part of that exciting experience in, in people's lives. And, um, and so when I finished school, I went and did my midwifery training and yeah. um, and was a, a young midwife working in um, Tauranga for a couple of years before I got pregnant with Laura, my first daughter my first baby um, but it was this really quite a shocking journey for me of having this understanding of birth as being this very sacred empowering wondrous beautiful experience family experience but then going to you know midwifery school training and I mean I was really really fortunate i was uh, I asked to be p- placed with home birth midwives or a home birthing women as much as possible because I knew that was more the path that I wanted to go down in terms of my midwifery and 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 I was fortunate in that I was placed with some incredible midwives and um and yeah got to be, be a witness to some very very um beautiful home birth experiences but the realities of birth I mean I yeah sure I got to see uh, you know lots of beautiful home births but I was also involved in a lot of births that were traumatic they were I'm sure they would have been traumatizing for the people experiencing you know giving birth but for me as a student midwife witnessing it was it was traumatic it was like what what is going on? What you know, where is where's the love? Where's the yeah, the personal aspect, where's the sacredness, where's the respect and reverence for this woman who is going through this incredible time of a rite of passage in her life and it was all just so disregarded and cold and callous and sterile and it was horrible. I remember in particular um one woman whose birth I had attended it was her first baby and she'd done an incredible job of birthing her baby and you know she was on that oxytocin high after her baby was born and um it was just beautiful and then and this was in the hospital and then uh, but she'd had a tear and the midwife had decided to get the obstetrician or registrar into um to suture suture up the tear and this this doctor this guy came and sort of gruffly sat himself down at the foot of this woman's bed he didn't say congratulations on your new baby i don't remember him introducing himself even he just sort of told her she needed to like bend her knees up and um you know like open her legs and um and he was going to suture her up and he was putting some uh, injections of uh, local anesthetic into her, and of course, that was really painful for her. Um, and then he starts suturing and starts putting this needle into her, and she can, she's like tensing up and she's trying to back her bottom up the bed, like clearly in pain. And do you know how he responded to that? This is this new mum who was on this oxytocin high, having just given birth to her baby in this most like beautiful, empowering way, and then she needs this treatment, and, and she's experiencing a lot of pain and discomfort. And he responds to that by slapping the insides of her thighs with his hands, saying, relax, relax. How am I supposed to do this if you're going to tense up like that? I was, I was, I, I, like, my jaw must have literally dropped open. I could not believe what I was witnessing and hearing. And her, I was like, why isn't the midwife saying something? Why isn't her husband saying something? Her husband was sitting there silently next to her, holding the baby. And it was just like, what? I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Seriously, I was... Mm am I in some sort of, like, time warp here or something? Because, yeah, surely this isn't normal. And I went back to midwife school the next day and talked to my tutors about what had happened. And I was really perplexed that they weren't more shocked, that they were like, well, um, I was like, what can I, you know, what what happens next? What can be done about this? You know, this isn't okay. Surely this isn't Okay. And they said, "Well, you could ask um the woman if you if she would uh like you to help her write a complaint if she wants to do that." And I was like, "Well, okay." Um, and I remember asking this new mum and saying to her, "Hey, you know that experience with the obstetrician when he was suturing you suturing you up." Um. Like, if you want to um, write a complaint about that, I can support you to do that. And she said, oh, I just, I just want to forget about it. You know? yeah. And which is a like, completely understandable yeah. and normal response when you're dealing with a, mm. a, a newborn baby. So nothing would have ever happened mm. in relation to that. And of course, as, as time went on, I learned that that was pretty kind of standard. Those sorts of things are like mm. commonplace. It wasn't that shocking to the tutors or probably to the midwife, because because that's what happens. And so my understanding of or knowing what birth was meant to be like and the reality for most uh, birthing people um, was quite uh, it was it was shocking for me that mm. that realisation and. Um, and I struggled a bit with being a midwife in that kind of environment um and so I was yeah it was there was a, a part of me I feel like was relieved when I got pregnant with my daughter and knew I wasn't going to be able to continue practicing midwif- mm. midwifery I've, I've only really recognized that In hindsight that's kind Mm. of taken me a long time to really pull all those pieces together and having been working in birth trauma specifically for the last decade um that's come more i've I've just sort of seen things more and more for what they are i guess in the moment you're just kind of going through the motions Mm. but but yeah so i got pregnant with laura and holy moly was i excited to be on the other end of the stick i was working as a midwife at the time and I was like oh now it's my turn and I was so excited um I wasn't with her dad we broke up early on in my pregnancy it was quite an unexpected pregnancy um and I was in Tauranga but I uh I decided that I was going to come back to your home to give birth uh, and to get some support for best the first decision ever <laughs> absolutely <laughs> the best decision ever um so i think i was about a month off being due with laura when i um when i came mm. uh came and moved in for a few months and um and yeah, her birth experience was like incredible. I loved giving birth and yeah, and I wanted my mum to be there and I wanted my sister to be there. And your daddy. But and then I ended up, well, they weren't, they weren't, there was no intention for them <laughs> of actually being there. But, but how it ended up, it was just like, uh, well, Pete, your husband at the time, my stepdad, um, you know he was around and about because it was his house and I was labouring away and it just felt really comfortable and right having him there and Jenny's husband at the time Ed um, he was videoing he was videoing the verse <laughs> I was like yeah like and I knew that I could have said at any moment yeah. if I felt uncomfortable they would absolutely leave but I was just like no this just feels about really right yeah. and lovely and then we had the the midwives and the student midwife and um and yeah, my dad uh, called him out, he came down from Auckland. So it was quite yeah. the family. We family actually needed unit.
1: everybody there for the few hours beforehand <laughs> because it was upstairs where we, our living room was and we were filling up the birth pool. We set up the birth pool in the lounge and we we're putting boiling jugs of water and pots of water so our hot water didn't run out. And we filled it up and the midwife arrived and looked at the birth pool and you were so desperate to get into it and said, you're going to have to pull it, start again because you haven't put the lining in. <laughs> so we had buckets that we were heaving over the deck and we are ringing up the neighbours to get hot water yep I d- and it didn't need a team
0: <laughs> it didn't need a team yes and then the power went out do you remember yeah. and we were trying to heat uh, hot water on the uh, uh, the top of the um the fireplace That's yeah right, I? <laughs> yeah it was it was a pretty special occasion and then um and then yeah you share the bit <laughs>
1: which is about the bit you were born the no, night when laura was born yeah it was so lovely well you were in the pool and we we're all taking turns at, kind of putting cold flannels on your forehead you know you'd have your dad there and then i'd be there and then your sister and kim your other sister in england was on the phone listening to it all and um and the midwives were sort of keeping a bit in the background, except to sort of examine you every so often. They I mean, were just by examine you, me. By, by just <laughs> looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when um, Laura's head crowned and um, she was being birthed, I was quickly called over to catch her. She was born. It was so beautiful. And she had the cord between her legs and I was just didn't she? Yeah. yeah. And I was saying, oh my God, she's so gorgeous. Look at her, she's beautiful. She's so big. <laughs> and we didn't even know for sure that she was a girl at that stage. Didn't know at all. No. So. <laughs> it's, it's, it's classic because we've got that
0: on video, haven't we? You saying, yeah, we don't even know whether she's a boy or a girl yet. <laughs> Which is pretty classic. Yeah. It was so special. It was such a family occasion, hey? Mm.
1: It was, it was lovely. Yeah.
0: And I had a bit of a nightmare time breastfeeding Laura, but it was so helpful having the family support around and and really, really helpful having that really empowering birth experience where it was like, Okay, breastfeeding's hard, but I trust my body knows what it's doing, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty stubborn at the best of times. And I was just like, I'm doing this, come hell or high water. And I feel like it was my birth experience that really set me up to be able to cope with those yeah. massive challenges. Um, where I know in my work, in birth trauma support, is that for so many people who have a traumatic birth experience, it's the complete opposite in terms of them they start to motherhood being so like they don't trust their bodies they think their bodies failed them in birth you know they don't (coughs) trust their instincts or their intuition because you know the doctors had to save me and my baby from you know like uh, there's no trust in themselves and there's no um and they feel really really disempowered so a birth can be so potent in terms of setting us up for um, to be able to parent our babies the way that our babies need us to parent them. And that's through tr- listening oh. to our instincts and trusting them just like you did and, you know, speaking out against, no, I'm going to take my baby because that's everything in your body was telling yeah. you that that was the right thing to do and telling that plunket nurse to go away it's, because you yeah. didn't want anybody under It actually you. didn't
1: feel like I was being courageous or doing a thing, I just didn't feel I had any other choice. Mm, mm, You know, I mean, mm. it just was so strong. My feelings were so strong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but for people who have a traumatic birth, it's uh, they, that's not there, no, you that's know, right. and, yeah. and yeah. they haven't got that bond with their baby often because they don't have that powerful oxytocin love drug flowing through their system at the time their baby mm. was born, or they uh,
1: they're in a trauma state. I guess that's when you need a supportive family around. Well, you need a you village. Too, a you need village. Like because a because I think uh, you and I were very fortunate, mm. but your two sisters had some difficult births, mm. and but they were amazing breastfeeders and they were amazing mm. mothers, you know, mm. yeah. and um, mm. it was, you know, and they, and they need, it's, as you say, you just need the support around you in those times. Yeah. Like my support I had no family support, but I had my Lala Chaleg family, mm. and I mean mm. they're still my family to this mm. day. Some of those people, amazing, and that was fifty years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think
0: I think you breastfed me until I was three. Yeah, which yay, <laughs> um, yay, all those goodies for me for so long, and all that all that love, um, and. And I went on to breastfeed all three of my babies until they were three, which, you know, like I think, I think the way we give birth and the way we are born, they're important. They're so important and they can have such powerful influences on us. Um, They're not the be all and end all of how we're going to end up birthing Mm. ourselves. But um, I I just love this story. And thank you so much for sharing all that with, um, on my podcast, but I love that aspect of that your story was such a powerful influencer for me and my journey Mm. and look at where that's taken Mm. me on you know not just not just having three um incredible birth experiences myself and um but but also just feeling so passionate about um wanting to support others to find uh, healing after mm. after birth trauma, um, and wanting just to like yeah you know heal birth, <laughs> heal the world of birth. Do do what I can um, to to help drive, uh, yeah that that agenda to heal mm. birth.
1: I'm so, sure your book that you wrote would be the inspiration that I found in books. For a lot of people. Mm. The stories in that are so beautiful.
0: Yeah, I love that book. Yeah, Where the Heart Is. Mm. Um, yeah. In fact, this podcast, I was thinking I would d- I would compile yes. another book of birth stories that were just the healing birth
1: yeah, stories. Um, yeah.
0: But it took me five years to compile that book mm-hmm. <laughs> and publish it. And I'm like, a podcast is going to be easier. <laughs> And they're more the, more the way, you know, yeah. to do things these days. So, so this is, we're going to wind up this very <laughs> first episode of the podcast. Um, and I'm just going to uh, pose this question to you um, before we sign off, which is, if you could go back to the pre-motherhood version of yourself and share one piece of wisdom with her,
1: what would it be? Um, to be informed and trust your body. Yeah. Intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Mum. <laughs> it's been so special. It's <laughs> been To sit you. on the couch here and have <laughs> this special conversation with you. Uh, and, um, yeah, thank you for giving me such a beautiful start to life and uh, being such an incredible role model and you're sure you don't talk about yourself as being radical or courageous but you sure are in in (laughs) my opinion and um so yeah forever grateful thank you for listening to this episode of the healing birth podcast If you like what you heard, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others. Or if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I'd love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions or because you're potentially interested in working or training together. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.